0: hello and welcome to the wealthy woman lawyer podcast we believe all women lawyers deserve to be wealthy women lawyers our mission is to provide thought-provoking powerful and practical information to help you in creating your own sustainable wealth generating law firm without overwork or overwhelm so you can live your best life i'm your host Davina frederick and i'm so excited for you to meet our guest today so let's get started brian moskowitz is a legal recruiter and attorney coach who matches uncommon lawyers with uncommon law firms. He is a performance and business strategist with a history of leading and building successful teams while helping attorneys to thrive at work and at home. When not impacting the lives of attorneys, Brian travels the country as a trainer for Tony Robbins, changing lives in the rest of the world. He's also a firewalker. So if you're familiar with Tony Robbins, you know what a firewalker is. If you're not Brian's going to tell us in a minute, thanks so much for being here on the Wealthy Woman Lawyer podcast. Brian, we're happy to have you. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me here, Davina. Great. So I've been uh, stalking you for a while on social media. I'm so glad that I'm able to finally get you here on on the Wealthy Woman Lawyer podcast. And I think this is very timely because of what you do and the need so many uh, attorneys and law firm owners are having in their business with regard to staffing so i am sure you're gonna have a lot of wonderful things to share with us but before we jump into that i want to hear a little bit about how you came to doing what it is you do now
1: yeah so a great question and i've had several different uh incarnations over my life um i've practiced law on three separate occasions and every time you know i left they pulled me back in uh but this time uh yeah it's like the godfather movie but this time I am out for good, and I am doing legal recruiting. This is the second time I've gone to legal recruiting, and the way I got started in this, this time is actually I got burnt out. I practiced uh, high-end uh, divorce cases, you know, high-end marital family law for 20 plus years, and I just didn't want to fight anymore. Right. Um, but having my own firm for 23 you know, I guess the 25 years, gave me the flexibility um, to raise my children as a single parent, gave me the flex uh, flexibility to have the hours I needed, and to earn a decent income to, you know, raise my children as a divorced parent. Um, but at some point, you know, once my kids uh, moved on with their lives, I have one daughter who's now a Uh, Moved on. She has a job. She lives out of state. Uh, My uh, son is a junior in college, so I am so close to being an empty nester. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I decided I don't want to fight anymore. So I and I my skill set is much better suited to putting deals together and bringing people together than tearing them apart in the divorce. So that's sort of how I got into recruiting the first time and also this time. Uh, again, the skill set is much more suited in my personality to bringing people together.
0: I love it. I love it, and I really relate to it because when I started my law practice, I also did a lot of family law, and it was—it's very stressful <laughs> because you, you're in the middle of you know people, some of people's worst times in people's lives with regard to splitting up in a relationship, and there's not a, sometimes there's not a whole lot of rational thought among people when you're going through a divorce. For good reason, or maybe sometimes not for good reason, and it can be very stressful. And I did not hang out for twenty years like you did. I I had to get out of it a lot faster. And very similarly, I said, you know, I'd really like. I would rather can we all just get along? Like I'd rather (laughs) help bring people together and do something that's uplifting as opposed to fighting all the time. And I do think people, you know, when they're going through a divorce, they need that attorney who's willing to to get in there and be their advocate and fight for them. But I knew that that was not going to be me for that long. So I really relate to what you're saying. Tell me what, what led you to legal recruiting.
1: So what led me to it at the very beginning was the same thing that led me to the practice of law as a solo, the flexibility to do it on my own, on my own schedule, and there being the high income potential. Right. Uh So that was recruiting in general. But as far as legal specific, having practiced for 20 years, understanding the lawyer mindset, which I believe is unique amongst uh, all mindsets. You know, I think we are uh, all created differently, but uh, us lawyers have a certain way we think and act most of the time. Uh Um, So I I truly, after having lived it for, you know, 25 years um, and working with so many lawyers, it just made Sense to go into the legal uh, recruiting field, one knowing lots of attorneys, but two really understanding how they think, how they click, how they make decisions, yeah, and what the challenges are, because it's all about helping them overcome, you know, the challenges and getting out of their own way, you know, to make decisions, whether it's in their practice, whether it's in their life, or whether it's in uh, changing firms.
0: Right. Right. And now you work with through your company. You work with those who are attorneys who are seeking to change careers, move up in law firms, uh, jump from one law firm to another, uh, make advances in their career. And then you also, on the flip side, work with law firms who are seeking good attorneys, correct?
1: Right, so the way the industry works and had, has worked for you know decades, is the law firm is the client, right? They hire you to go out and recruit an attorney for them. So they say, I need a you know, f- fifth-year corporate attorney with experience in life sciences. Go and find that person for me, okay? And they pay you a fee to do that. There's no fee paid by the attorney. That's the way it's been done, tried and true all the years. And, and that's also uh, a good chunk of the way I operate. But I uh, come at it a different way, you know, what I call the uncommon way. Uh, I tend to look at attorneys as professional athletes you know, who are free agents um, and you know, work with them to sort of find out what they want out of life, whether the firm they're at is the right fit, and lots of times it is, sometimes it isn't. But then I take them to market. Right, as opposed to saying, hey, Davina, I have an opportunity. Let me try to take you and fit you into this you know, uh, uh, this, this box over here, which may or may not fit you. I sort of shift it. I now speak to the attorney and find, hey, what do you want? What works for you? And then I go find the law firm that fits their needs. So I sort of do it reverse. And I love that. In the, yeah. And in this day and age with the uh the raging war for legal talent right now. Um pretty much any law firm uh that I take a uncommon lawyer to, you know, someone that I've pre-qualified and spoken to and is ready to make a move, they will interview them, right? Um because they are that desperate's a, a strong word, but lots of law firms are desperate, right? And uh-huh. so whether they either have an opening or they don't they will interview speak to and hire you know the top legal talent that's available so I, again i look at them as free agents there are non-competes don't exist um for attorneys uh, i mean they right. could be client conflicts um but it's like you no know, when lebron james said, i'm taking my talents to miami you know you can take your talents wherever you want
0: right right let's dive into that um, the the audience here are law firm owners And Mm -hmm. one of the big challenges a lot of my clients right now and women law firm owners who I'm, you know, in conversation with is this, as you said, desperation, certainly need to, they're wanting to expand, they're trying to expand and uh, they're finding a shortage of good candidates for working with their law firms. So tell me what do you think is happening among in the legal profession among associates now, you know, we have this great resignation going on in the country where people are quitting jobs and moving jobs. Um, What do you think the reason is kind of behind this with associates?
1: So I think there is a lot of pent up frustration with attorneys, uh, associates Mm. that became, uh, that was exacerbated during, you know, COVID and the pandemic. Uh, I think some firms have handled it really well. Others have not, and by that I mean communication-wise. You know, the firms that have communicated throughout, I think, are doing better. I know for a fact they're doing better than the the firms that did not communicate. But associates are fed up. You know, they're not going to take it anymore. And whether it's Mm -hmm. a different generation, because we're talking, you know, associates are typically uh, one year to eight, nine, maybe pushing ten years out of law school. Maybe a different generation, but they like that movie. They're not going to take it anymore. You know, you can only right. push them, yeah, you can only push them so far. And so the, whether it's a great resignation or, you know, they're just saying, you know what, what's in it for me, right? And I'm going to make the best decision for me. I see that as a big part of what's going on now. And it starts at the top with the big firms and trickles its way down, you know, because the big firms are in such a competition for the top talent. There's not enough top, top, top talent. When I say that, I mean, you know, out of the top. You know, 14 major law schools, Harvard, Yale, Columbia, Stanford, knows not as many of the top 10%. So they sort of take the, the notch down and look at medium sized firms and they start poaching for medium sized firms. Well, where do medium sized firms go to? Well, they go to firms smaller than them. And it's a trickle down effect, which makes it even harder for smaller firms to attract and retain their attorneys. Because the bigger firms with more resources, um, more name recognition, you know uh, bigger, better clients, so to speak, uh, are pushing from them now, so it's the trickle down and trickle up effect. so uh, small law firms I see getting hit hard in this
0: area. makes a lot of sense, and tell tell give us so tell us what you are hearing from attorneys who are job seeking, um, or who are working someplace, but you are approaching them and saying, you know, Hey, I have these other opportunities for you. What kinds of things are they discussing? What is it that they're looking for? What is it that they want? What, what moves them? Cause a lot of times it's not money. Like people think sometimes it is.
1: It, right. It's not just money and everyone throws around the term You know, work life balance. And when I speak to attorneys, you know, uh, more often than I I would say 85 to 90% of the time, they're gonna put in and say to me, you know what, I'm looking for work life balance. But they don't know what that means, (laughs) right? When I say, okay, great, tell me what work life balance is, they don't know. Right. So we dig a little bit deeper, but what I end up finding, don't uh, say it's compensation. Oftentimes, it is compensation. Um, It's woody. It's being valued. If I had to say that, compensation is big, right? Although they don't say it, that makes them feel valued. And that's what I think is causing a lot of the great resignation now because there's so much money being thrown around. What I am seeing is the boomerang effect. Attorneys making a move for the money and then not being happy, or I'll go so far as saying being miserable. And then either going back to where they came from or to another firm and taking less money. So when I see the move work, it's the attorney understanding what makes them drive, you know, what their underlying human needs are. And, you know, that's a term I learned from uh, Tony Robbins. You know, uh, what he teaches is we all have these six human needs, you know, whether it's, um, you know, certainty. And uncertainty, significance, love and connection, growth and contribution. So we all have those six needs. The, the question is which do we put above the others? Right? Right. So when I work with attorneys, I find out which is their driving need, their top two needs, and that's where I really find out the goal. That's when I know, okay, this will be a good move for you. When you tell me money it's because you want to be significant sometimes, right? You want to make sure you earn the most that you can. Right. Others want certainty. Tell me I'm going to be able to work from 8 to 6 and go home, okay? Mm-hmm. So it's digging it's digging beneath the words they tell me to find out what makes them move. And going back to attorneys being unique creatures, I'd say the overwhelming majority of attorneys I speak to, uh, certainty and significance are their two top two driving needs, right? That's just the attorney bio or mindset or psychology. They want to be significant and they want to be certain as to the outcome of their
0: life. Right, right. Give me an idea of the size of uh, law firm clients that you tend to work with the most.
1: So right now, it is, I'm looking at medium-sized firms, I'd have to say. I work with the largest firms you know in the world, and they just look at attorneys as a body, uh, right. generally, right? You know, when I introduce attorneys to them, it's all through a portal system. It's hard to even speak to somebody over there, whereas the medium-sized to I even have a solo I'm trying to recruit for right now, and that's really hard. Mm. So I think the majority of firms I work with now are the medium-sized, so anywhere from 20 25 to under a hundred mm-hmm. attorneys, but I do have a solo and a few three to four attorney firms who are uh, using me to find them the right attorney.
0: Right, right. So for the attorneys that you're representing who are changing jobs, do you find very many of them who have gone out on their own and started their own law firm businesses and decided that that didn't work? and they're looking for security someplace else or something where they could just focus on and be a lawyer. What are you seeing with regard to trends of people sort of starting their firms versus jobs? So I've seen,
1: right. So in the past, again, uh, 18 months, two years during COVID, I have seen multiple solos who have gotten spooked by the lack of certainty Right, and where the next uh, paycheck or client is coming from that have either gone and taken a job with a firm or look to merge their solo practice with a more established firm. Okay, so I have definitely seen that going on because again, it's been scary times at the very beginning, even the large law firms were you know laying off attorneys, so the solos were you know trying to find out the best way to preserve themselves. And that was often getting a job, um, joining a firm or trying to merge with another attorney or attorneys in your position.
0: You know, there's there's been a lot of research around kind of the millennial generation and uh, of course millennials now, you know, or I think the oldest millennial now is like in their 40s, right? So mm. <laughs> millennials are aging along with the rest of us. But this idea that, that a lot of uh, younger uh, attorneys are wanting something different in a job than you might've found in a Gen X generation or a boomer generation where there was a lot of focus on money and prestige. So there's wealth, there's prestige, there's moving up, there's, you know, and and putting in the time to move up. So the 50 to 100 hour weeks, you know, of working to rise to the top and we're seeing more and more, Research that's come out that says this is not what this the this younger generation wants in a business in in a job. Are you seeing that, or are you not? I mean, you've mentioned already that that compensation is a huge factor.
1: So I am seeing uh, purpose driven, you know, causes, and I think that's also a great recruiting tool right now, and also retention tool. Whether it's allowing attorneys to have a set number of Uh, pro bono hours to work on a client, right? Or a cause that they believe in. Um, Whether firms support uh, causes uh, with their own dollars. You know, having that purpose-driven mentality I see with not necessarily the oldest millennials, but, you know, uh, the middle to maybe younger millennials, I'm seeing that. But what I do see is they talk that, but then it comes down to the dollars at the end of the day, right? So if it came down to the purpose-driven opportunity that paid um, somewhat similar to the non-purpose opportunity, they're going to grab the purpose-driven opportunity if it aligns with them politically, environmentally, socially, personally, if it clicks with them. And if it's a uh, a decent-sized compensation difference, I have seen at the upper levels that the purpose-driven goes aside. Not that they forget about it altogether, you know. They may go and do it on their own, but they will take that law firm opportunity um, with, with the money. And uh, I, if I had to take a guess, maybe one of the reasons is they have law school loans, right? And it right. only goes so far. You know, being socially environmentally conscious, you have bills to pay. Right. So I'm not. Right. I'm not going to. So I'm not going to say that the purpose-driven hiring isn't out there. But when there's a big difference in money. I do see the attorneys going for going for the money. There's nothing wrong with it. You know, they put in the time, the effort, the law school, um, took out the loans, and they can go make the money for a few years, and then go devote themselves to the cause when they have the money.
0: Right, right.
1: And then, and that may not be the politically correct answer, but that's what I'm I, seeing out there. I
0: don't want the, I don't necessarily want the politically correct answer. I want to, right. I'm getting, I want to get to the heart of what women law firm owners can do, what law firm owners can do to uh, smaller firms uh, and mid-sized firms can do to compete in this really uh, employees driven sort of marketplace because that is really what, you know, a lot of my clients are looking at it and they're going, okay, should I offer more money? But it, you know, region, region plays a lot in terms of what Uh, the right amount of money is. And I think a lot of people try to figure that out. Have you seen that too? Like, Depending on where you are, we're talking about the United States, depending on where you are in the United States, that can vary greatly. And so I think employers are trying to sort of figure that out.
1: Absolutely, and especially in the time of um, working from home and virtually. Uh, I mean, I know a lot of firms that are either based in California or New York Where attorneys are receiving those salaries and have lived in, you know, Florida, um, Kansas, Colorado, other less expensive states, um, keeping that income, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that has been an issue that's going to be addressed going forward. And I've read a lot about that, you know, whether the incomes should drop if someone is, you know, working from a less expensive state or whether the uh, a New York attorney working for a New York firm, regardless of where they're working, should maintain that income. I don't know how that's going to shake out, but I see that conversation happening now. But for the smaller firms, you know, I, I think um, what I've advised my clients and what I think is a, a good path forward is to expand the sourcing and recruiting. You know, So attorneys who may not have gone to the best firms attorneys who may have had maybe a um, a gap or two on their resume, you know, uh, I think they are well worth having conversations with. And, and I think when you look at the hiring and interviewing, there's two parts to this, you know, and, and I think that was one of my posts that you may have seen. There is the hard skills, right, which is their resume. And, you know, can they do the job? You know, do they have the core skill To do the job, I need them. And that's the price for admission, right? (laughs) If they don't have that, I would not speak with them. But after that, the soft skills, right? Will they do the job, right? You know, what is their character? Are they resilient? Are they adaptable? Are, Are they humble? I think those are the key traits. And I think a lot of firms miss out on good hires because they're looking for only the hard skills on the resume. Uh, you can teach hard skills. Right? Once they have the bare bones, uh, let's say you need a year of family law experience. If they have a year of family law experience. Um, if it's not high end, you can teach them high end. Right? If it's right. uh, not collaborative and you do collaborative, you can teach them collaborative. Uh, if it's in bankruptcy, they've done chapter sevens, you can teach them chapter 13s. Once they have, you know, in the uh, elder law, you can teach elder law, you can teach estate planning. So if they have that basic level of skill set. I would not ignore them if they don't have the exact, you know, 10 out of 10 skills place you can teach that, but they must have the re- ability to be resilient, to bounce back during adversity, to um, adapt, to be flexible. And I think you've seen a lot of attorneys who were flexible during this time period, a lot of attorneys who were not flexible during this time period. And then just ask for examples of, you know, when they've been resilient, whether it's in the practice of law or outside the practice of law. So, yeah, I think that is a key for the smaller firms to expand the pool and get the attorneys they need on board. And then right. money too. <laughs> I'll
0: throw right, that out money there. Money too. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, so we're going so we're just going to say money is like a baseline thing and and to figure that out for the I mean, that's the challenge that you're going to have to figure out depending on what region you're in and also taking into account what you mentioned earlier, it's something I've been reading a lot about, too, is how this kind of controversy that's come up where people are taking jobs in, in a state with a higher cost of living, and yet they're living in states with low cost of living. So they're really, I mean, which is super smart financially, if you can do mm-hmm. that and get away with it. I think you're having a lot of that happen. But, you know, our company's going to make adjustments around that. And, you know, if you have a smaller firm or medium-sized firm, you're kind of, like you said, there's a there's a force of economics is being driven maybe by the larger firms, larger companies, and, and we're having to play within that kind of play that game and figure that out where we fit in that. Um, but I I also think there are certain there are certain professions within the legal profession where you can have people working remotely to help you do things, but then there are others where you've got to have people locally because your people are still needing to go to court you know, in some places, in person. Again, we're starting to see more of that happening. And I think that's the challenge that people are having is you're having a lot of folks who are saying, you oh, I still want to, I just want to work remotely. Now that I've had Zoom hearings and Zoom court, I don't want to go back to court in person. And I think there's still going to be a need for that. That's what some so many law firm owners seem to be facing is, you know, people who don't really want to go in person. And and that's still an issue, kind of a COVID-driven issue have you been seeing that
1: yes uh, and on both the law firm side and on the attorney side you know again if we just look at the big firms they all have these plans in place so coming back by this date um you'll be in the office boom 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 and now the all majority have if not pushed the date back to 2022 said okay we have no date now right um And then on the flip side, I have attorneys who say, you know what, I am not going into the office. There's no need to go in ever again. I I do corporate work or I do real estate, and all I do is review documents. Whereas I have other attorneys who um, are pulling their hair out at home, whether there's too much going on at home or it's too quiet at home, and they want to be back in the office. Right. So, which is, again, I think another key for your clientele is flexibility and communication. You know, what works today may not work next month. It may work in two months, right? Um, But it's just being flexible with what is going on in the moment. And I I truly believe you need to over-communicate with your team, right? And, you know, lead them where you want to go, but also lead them in a way that they Want to be led, right? And I think a lot of that does come back to being able to over communicate and being flexible because everybody's different. You know, I've said that a couple of times. You may have two attorneys in your firm and both want to work from home, but want to work from home for different reasons. Okay. Right. And you need to figure out, you know, what that reason is so you can lead that person the right way um, to benefit them, which benefits your firm. So uh, I do think it comes down to flexibility and communication.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting that you say that I've been doing a lot of uh, reading on this topic uh, uh, as well. Kind of what's, you know, given what's been going on in our economy. And one of the philosophies or solutions that I have heard is a lot what you're talking about in terms of flexibility and communication, but it taking it down even to an individual level. Right. So, uh, employers are used to saying, this is what we all are doing, right? <laughs> this, is, you come, you have to work at this time, you leave at this time, you know, people are paid, you know, what they're paid according to the position or whatever, and kind of dictating what we want. And what I've been reading is that employers are, because of the way, the way it's such an employee-driven market right now, that employers are really needing to look at individual needs, not just saying, okay, we're all working from home or we're all working in the office, but really dialing down to the different individuals and what works and what doesn't and what may be a great experience for us. So a lot of my clients run virtual firms. They like working from their home. And then we start talking about staff beyond attorneys, but staff, you have a lot of people who don't have a setup to work from home. They, there is no separate office in their house that they can. And they're literally, you know, in their closet having Zoom meetings because that's where the, you know, the sound quality is best or where they can keep the little kids out or whatever. So it really, when you're looking in your, at your employees all across the board, you know, what you're saying, having that open communication is so important and finding out really what's behind the request or the desire or, you know, what what they want. Looking at what, why they want it, right?
1: You nailed it. You nailed it. And the best yeah. example I can give—I don't mean to cut you off—the best example I can give, a great corollary, is parenthood and raising children, right? So, and I'll use my two children, and it goes back to the six human needs I talked about before. Mm-hmm. If I take my daughter, she is driven by certainty. So, if I want to motivate her or lead her in a certain way, I know. I need to show her that if you do this, that will happen, right? Mm -hmm. If you perform this way, you will get that reward, okay? One plus one must equal two in her mind, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, if I were to do the same thing with my son, he'd look at me crazy and go right back into his phone and start playing video games, right? (laughs) With my, exactly. So my son, I need to say, you know what? If you do this, you'll be the first one ever to do that. If you come here and you perform in this way, you will be the number one person in your fraternity, right? So he wants significance. He wants to be put on a pedestal, right? Whereas that would be anathema to my daughter, right? So if I try to lead her with significance, I would fail. Not her, me. I would fail as a leader. And If I would try to lead my son with certainty, again, it, we would fail. Right. So same thing right. with employees, right? You need to what makes them tick. Why did that, does that person want to work from home? Do they not want to sit in traffic, right? Or do they want to be able to pick up their children, right? Um, why does this person want to come, come to work? Are they trying to avoid their home, <laughs> right? Because there's problems going on there they're looking to avoid, right? Yeah. Or do they just, you know, work better and need that mentorship uh, or camaraderie or social, you know, uh, interaction of being in the office? And if you, you know, try to lead in the wrong way, And that's when when I see people leave.
0: Right, right. And and I love this discussion about retention because I know that's something you you advise people on and you help employers try to figure this part out is that, you know, if we can hang on to the people that we have, you know, that's going to help. That's going to help. That's going to go a long way because that team may be what gets us through this transition, right? But also sort of sorting out the ones who, who aren't a good fit with the, the company culture and the what the law firm owners or partners are envisioning for the firm who just aren't a good well, fit in, in your law firm and your culture,
1: right? And I think you need to invite those people to leave immediately, right? Because if they are not the good fit, it's like it becomes poison to everybody else there who is a good fit, okay? Yes. So uh, oftentimes, you know, it's addition by subtraction. Okay you may be losing a good employee, why? because you're keeping a bad employee around
0: right, and that's a whole right. and that's
1: a whole nother discussion um yeah. you know uh, uh, there's the retention, and there's also you know the stats talk about you know why do uh what are the reasons law firms give for associates leaving you know and a lot of them are well, we wanted them to leave <laughs> right <laughs> it, it was a benefit to have them leave. But I think that it does come down to if somebody is, it's what is it, hire slow and fire fast. Uh, I think that's a term I've heard multiple times yeah. um, over the years, and it just creates a toxic work culture. Um, right. Oh, and uh, I think speaking of toxic, I just I'm sorry, on toxic work culture, uh, I think a lot of attorneys leave firms because the boss creates a toxic work culture. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I I just haven't, that just popped into my head when I said toxic work coach with employees, but a lot of times that stems from the, you know, top on down.
0: Right. So So maybe working on your own, working on yourself. Yeah. And asking the question, is it me? You know, it might very well be me, right? Uh, yeah, (laughs) I, I agree with you there. I, and I want to just talk about that part about, uh, letting people, uh, letting people go more quickly. If you're in a state where you feel like, we don't, you know, the work is just pouring in and we don't have enough people as it is, it can be a, a difficult decision to let a person go. But like you said, I mean, I've always felt like if it's, you know, this person's a cancer to your organization is what I heard. Of, and I share with my clients, they're cancer. You have to cut them out. You have to get them out because what they're going to do is infect other people in the organization. You have somebody who's got a bad attitude about something. It's going to just, they're going to spread it. They're going to try to spread it and create division in your organization, and you're going to wind up losing your good people, and then you're just stuck with people who aren't the best people. Now you're going to be in a worse situation. So it's better just to cut that loss, even at a time like this, when it feels like, oh my gosh, am I going to get the right person, right?
1: I would agree. I would agree. Whether it's, so you take in a little bit less business now, um, because you've removed that, you can't, I think that is a better decision long term. But even in the short term, uh, there are ways to get the work done you know whether um you just sleep less (laughs) and work more hours or there are contract attorneys out there and that's something that my firm does but there's the temporary staffing um and contract attorneys who will come in to work on a case for you or a file for you to get you through that you know short-term solution as a band-aid right right but i i think it comes down to a lot of self-reflection as to who you want to be as a law firm owner, right? Is it growth at all costs? Um, and I'm going to keep the toxic employee because I need somebody to do the work. Or is it having a conversation with the client saying, you know what, I don't have the capacity to handle this right now. It goes, you know, maybe you should uh, speak to this attorney who could help you. I think long-term, you know, that, that comes back to help people. You know, we tend to think very short-term and I know we're bouncing around here a lot, but I think our mindset is very short-term. The next, you know, Day, week, month, three months, six months. Whereas a decision like that, I think, can have tremendous benefit—one, three, five, ten years down the
0: road. Right, right. No, you're, and you're great. I think we're we're still a topic. We're we're just diving deep into this and into this topic because I think it's a topic. It's what I'm hearing a lot from my clients and women law firm owners in conversation about growing their businesses. This has really become the issue right now. We're ready to expand. We want to expand and you know, we're not having as many good candidates to do it. And so dialing into this is really important. And I want to talk specifically about women since our audience is largely women uh, law firm owners. A lot of women law firm owners in the polling that I've done have said the reason that they start their own firms is because they require flexibility. Number one, flexibility and freedom that they don't feel that they can get in a traditional law firm. And we we can look at reports from things like the ABA and their walking out the door uh, report where they actually reported how women partners are leaving around about the time that they should really be enjoying the fruits of all their labor in their 50s. They're leaving because they're just burned out by some of these traditional models. And we're seeing a lot of women, especially women of color, go and start their own law firm businesses because there have not been a place for them in a traditional type of law firm. What kinds of things are you seeing from the recruiting standpoint um, with regard to that? Are we starting to see more diversity in larger law firms, in mid-sized law firms? Are they being more intentional about seeking candidates? And also, are they sort of providing some of those things that I know particularly women have expressed they have a desire for which is more time flexibility? That's a compound question.
1: (laughs) No, and it's a great question. And as I mentioned before, I started my solo practice for that same exact reason. So it's not limited to women alone. It was needing to have the flexibility to have your life, right? What I see now is firms, whether voluntarily or involuntarily, are moving towards the DE&I, the diversity uh, programs. It's a big push in uh, law firms, and there's a lot of talk about it, and I have also seen action in it in placing and working with candidates in law firms. So I do see action taking place based upon diversity, whether it's minorities or you know women. And I also see flexibility, in a very big reality, work-life balance. Again, although it's very firm, I do see a lot of firms putting in work-life balance procedures, policies, whether it's you get, you know, uh, what was it, uh, 20 hours a year for, you know, uh, mental health time or personal development time, trying to create that environment where they can not burn out their attorneys. So I, I would say where I am most seeing this, I, I would not see a huge difference between women and men, right? Um, when I'm placing attorneys in, you know, medium to larger law firms, but I am seeing um, lots more flexibility and not only talk on the diversity flexibility side, but actually results in action from the law firms on both the, the diversity and flexibility side. So I think that's good that I, I am seeing action.
0: Yeah, I think, well, that's, I think that's probably a recent thing that's kind of being forced to, to come about, I, I because, you know, we still have, you, if you still look look up any, look at any of the midsize or uh, large law firms, and you're still going to see from a partnership standpoint, white male faces predominantly, and you may see a few female white faces, but uh, as partners, but you're not going to see a 50-50 split for the large law firms, and even a lot of medium-sized law firms, and certainly not as many bases of color, unless they are, you know, started by founders of color.
1: Right. There is a long way to go, and you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, the overwhelming majority are, you know, going to be white now um, by far. And just because it's, you know, a lot of talk right now and there is action right now, mm-hmm. it needs to continue. Right. Yes. You know, once uh, the pandemic is over and things back to where they were, does this continue? Right? Or is this just a, a big push during this, you know, uh, eighteen-month, two-year time period, and a band-aid? So I think right. the uh, we, we need to see where it continues. Um, if I had to guess, I'm going to say it is going to continue because um, society is not going to allow it not to continue. Because what happens mm-hmm. is, like you said, women and minorities will go start their own law firms, right? Right. You know, with technology these days, you don't have to have you know, the white shoe law firm in, the, in on, you know, midtown Manhattan. You can be anywhere, you know, with a laptop. Um, you have access and resources to the legal research that a solo has the same access as the largest firm in the world, right, to legal research and resources. So uh, you can easily, uh, women, minorities can easily compete with anybody. Um, so I think uh, if law firms want to keep doing what they're doing and keep growing and and thriving, they need to make those accommodations or they're going to lose business and there'll be more of these minority-driven, women-driven firms that are wildly successful by however you want to measure them.
0: Right, right. We're definitely seeing, I think, a lot because of the the change in our technology and also just all the changes in our society and our culture. I don't think that the traditional model for the law firm that has you know the the law legal profession is slow to change it's often one of the slowest industries mm-hmm. to change right and very very you know uh, it has a white male tradition really for the large law firms and so i think we are seeing that we're seeing now with the technology technological resources available to us the business model itself is changing yes it does allow more and more people to work in a distributed or remote way and have a lot more flexibility, a lot more flexibility for the clients to not have to mm-hmm. drive down to, you know, the, a law firm and meet with a lawyer and, and you know, have that same sort of um, reverential sort of feel. You know, when you go to a law firm and meet with a lawyer, um, I don't think lawyers are being put on the pedestals that they have for so many decades, Right. So I, I think we're starting to see some changes in the business model itself. And It's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out. And, it's, and it is a challenge for the small firms right now. So can you tell us what are some must-do considerations that we need to put in place if we are seeking associate attorneys to come and work with our small law firm? You know, is this something that's special we need to put in an ad out there? Are there certain places that we need to be sure that we're connecting Um, Are there certain benefits that we really need to be highlighting? What kind of advice would you leave us with today?
1: All right. So you mentioned ads. So that'll dial back to sourcing recruiting. I think you just need to expand the pie and look at a lot more candidates initially than you did in the past. So let's say you have a um, estate planning practice and you just can't find anybody with Uh, The three to five years of estate planning skills, but there is a a attorney with real estate skills in the three year to five year range that is resilient, adaptable, humble, um, great references, uh, great culture fit. You can teach them the estate planning part. Okay, so I just think you need to uh, widen the sourcing pool where you're pulling candidates from in this day and age Right, just with the uh, competition. Uh, In ads, I'm always a fan of less is more, right? You know, uh, people are not going to be reading a, you know, 10 paragraph posting. Um, So I think if it was uh, ad less is more, I think the best way is just networking, LinkedIn, Facebook, just interacting with people and pulling as many people into your environment as possible to spread the word. You know, it's sort of... um, same thing on sales and like Gary V. Vaynerchuk talks about the jab, 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 left hook. You know, you just right. want to be out there in plain sight so everybody knows who you are. And when they need you, they can find you. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you mentioned benefits. The compensation has to be there. The benefits have to be there. If you're competing against, you know, uh, if a small firm is competing against a uh, a 20 attorney firm or a medium sized firm, you have to be paying market dollar. You have to be giving health insurance and the 401k. You know, you have to be able to compete on that level. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, mean, I mean, sometimes you can find someone that has a spouse, you know, who has them covered. Uh, but I do think you have to have those in place, you know, to attract candidates.
0: It's interesting. You, you know, mentioned the, the, ad, the ad size. I want to just stop you there because I want to catch this. I want to make sure we don't get too far from it. You mentioned the ad about the ad. I have seen a lot of advice to law firm owners when they are advertising uh, for positions to, to actually make it detailed and long and specific because that filters out people. It serves as a filtering process. But it's, so it's interesting to me you say, keep it shorter. And so I just wanted to go talk about that a little bit more. Can you kind of explain so, that a little
1: yeah, from my perspective, the quality candidate, the candidate who you're wanting to attract, who is going to be doing the same thing you want done at another firm, is not going to go read a 10-paragraph ad, right? Mm. But if they see an ad that's only one or two paragraphs or bullet points, that is intriguing and captures their attention, and there's a call to action for them to learn more. I believe that will pull in more of the type of attorney you're looking for, um, as opposed to someone who will go through each and every line of your ad when I don't think um, lots of attorneys will. What I think also I've seen happen and I've heard, they then self-select themselves out. Because if you have 10 requirements. And the attorney says, Well, you know what? I only meet nine of those. I'm not going to apply. They've already self selected themselves out. And you're never even going to speak to that person.
0: Right. So right. To, I think that's great it's advice.
1: Like, it's like, so the funnel, I think you need to get as wide as possible at the top. Um, and, you know, when there's three to four, or five bullet points of the real must haves. But after that, I, I think less is more. And you just want them to opt into the conversation with you. Where you know the first part of the interview process, you know maybe is a uh, five minute phone call, and I think you could figure out a lot in that five minute phone call. Maybe within the first minute, know if it's worth even continuing the conversation. But I think you exclude lots of qualified prospects with these long uh, job postings. But that's my that's just one man's opinion.
0: Yeah, no, I I like this one man's opinion. I like that you shared it. It's it is, uh, and I think it's something that where. Before, when you know, when it was a time when it was more of an employer's market, and you would get you know hundreds of resumes or thousands of resumes, any type of put them out, putting something sort of helps you filter and select might be a better approach. And then now, what you're talking about though is you're an employee where you're you're at a point where you're trying to attract as many different types of you know people, and then sort of sort through it in the conversation and see you know see who's who's a good fit culturally with our. You know our culture and what we're trying to do so i like that advice it, it, it's a different way of looking at it from some of the things that i've read and heard so and i am one of those people who you know i wouldn't want to read a 10 paragraph <laughs> I, have, yeah. I have like i it exhausts me just to look at it i've got so much already not that i'm job seeking but you know i think we're so used to quick bites of information that people don't even read long articles anymore so uh well, think linkedin
1: think yeah. linkedin okay so one, it's got to be visually appealing, but when I, and I spend some time on LinkedIn, I know you do as well. If there is a long posting, which is going to be one or two paragraphs of sentence after sentence after sentence, it might be one of the greatest works of literature ever, but I'm never going to know. Yeah. However, yeah. if it is, you know, one or two lines, space, a few bullet points, space, that's going to intrigue me, right? I'm going to jump into that. And then maybe there's a link in the comments that I'm going to now go read because I was pulled in by the initial post.
0: Right. Right. Uh, And I'm actually one of those people, too, that doesn't if it's a long video, I'm not going to I'm not going to watch it because I just don't have time for it. I'm often not in a place where I can listen to a video anyway. But a lot of people love videos, you know, for sure. But I I think we're seeing more and more sort of shorter. Even YouTube has come out with its own short version of videos that people can do now. But we digress. (laughs) so tell us uh is there any final thought that you sort of want to leave us with before we wrap up here yes um
1: when you a small law firm or any law firm is looking to recruit someone who is doing what they need to be done but at the competition you need to have a story right Mm -hmm. you need to be able to say why they should leave their job where they've been for x number of years earning a good salary, um, providing for their family, to leave that comfort and certainty, to take the risk of coming to work for you, right? What is different, unique, uncommon about what you have going on that will benefit them, right? So what is your story? Why should they leave where they are to come to you? And it can't be work-life balance. It can't be just saying compensation. You really got to drill down and find the nuggets right because 10 firms will say work-life balance right so what is, what do you mean by work-life balance Do you knock off at 12 o'clock on a friday right is there no work on the weekend um so whatever it is you need to, be able to tell that story i just want to make sure i get that out because i think a lot of firms just think that because i'm a law firm and i'm going to you know pay your salary uh, you should come work for me no they can get that anywhere what's unique and uncommon about you so a little right. rambling there, All but that's the last piece I, I think I wanted to get out.
0: No, I love that. I love that. Well, and I did promise people that we would tell them what a firewalker is if they did not know, if they do not know about <laughs> Tony Robbins. So I think we need, need to, you need to fill that in, fill in that gap for people.
1: So absolutely. So, so Tony Robbins is a life coach, personal development speaker, motivational speaker, and he does live events, um, what well, we haven't done in two years. But at his entry-level event called Unleash the Power Within, we do a breakthrough process called a firewalk. And what we do is we start out, and I'm on the actual team that builds the fires, and we're actually doing one in November, the first one in two years, right here in West Palm Beach, Florida. So we have a bed of hot burning coals, uh, probably 2,000 degrees and up, about 8 to 10 feet, And you literally walk across those coals from one side to the other. And all it does is prove to you, if you can do this, what else can you do? Right? Whether it is, I can't start my own firm. Whether it is, you know, I can't find the right relationship. I can't hire the right attorney. I I can't learn this practice area. Right? What do you mean? You just walk on fire. OK, so it's literally walking across hot coals to prove to yourself what you can do to then take that back and be able to do other things in your life.
0: Right. I love it. Thanks so much for being here today, Brian. It was great to finally get a chance to chat with you. Tell us how we can connect with you. I know you're on LinkedIn. Tell us what we need to do to reach out if we want to reach out to you.
1: That, you just nailed it. The best way is going to be LinkedIn. Find me on LinkedIn. You know, Send me a direct message. You can go to my website, you know, which is Uh But again, the best way will be LinkedIn. That's where I spend the, the most of my uh, social media time. Direct
0: message me there and I'll be uh, more than happy to get back to you. All right. Wonderful. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. I've enjoyed our conversation immensely.
1: Uh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the Wealthy Woman Lawyer podcast. If you have, we invite you to leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform. The more five-star reviews we have, the more women law firm owners will be able to positively impact. Your thoughts and opinions are so important to us. If you are a woman law firm owner who wants to scale your law firm to a million dollars or more in gross annual revenue and do it in a way that's sustainable and feels good to you, then we invite you to join us in the Wealthy Woman Lawyer League. The League is a community of highly intelligent, goal-oriented and driven women law firm owners who are excited to support one another on their journeys to becoming wealthy women lawyers. We'll be sharing so much in The League in the coming year, including the exclusive million dollar law firm framework that until now, I've only shared with my private one-to-one clients. For more information and to join us, go now to www.wealthywomanlawyer.com slash league. That's www.wealthywomanlawyer.com slash league. League is spelled L-E-A-G-U-E. We look forward to seeing you soon in the league.